Welcome to episode 73 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember... The thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi everybody and welcome. This is episode number 73 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I am doing great. It's been a lot calmer of a week than last week, so that's a good thing. How is everything going with your book situation? Amazon is still investigating the whole thing. So Amazon is huge. So there's different departments, and one department has to talk to another department. And so it's it's taking a while, but they're they're doing their thing. I still don't I don't have an update about what to do, but you know, hopefully you will get the right one if you order it on Amazon. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there eventually. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I will keep everybody posted and let you know what to do or what Amazon's going to do in case you ended up with one of the um, the books that is not authentic. The best news is, though, it really encouraged me to take a look at Delay, Don't Deny. And I'm, I'm working on fixing any of the typos that were there. I had some weaknesses with commas and um, quotation marks. I think that we do it a little bit differently, maybe in academic writing with where we put the period. I'm not talking about if you're like quoting a person. I know how to do that. Like, like if you're writing dialogue, but I'm talking about if you like put a quote around a word at the end of a sentence versus where do you put the period? I was doing it wrong. Now I know. (laughs) I'm just having flashbacks to middle school and all the debates we would have about... (laughs) where to put things and sentences and the quotes and just everything. Well, what's interesting is my husband also is, is has been doing it wrong because he was like highlight like a few times in the book I did it right. <laughs> and then a few times I did it wrong. And he was like circling what he thought were typos. I'm like, no, you've just circled all the ones that are right. So I think it might be that academic writing does it one way because, you know, I've been using APA with when I got my doctorate and teaching online. So that that could be part of it because he had one way of doing it in his mind that I had too, but that was wrong now that I've researched it. Anyway, punctuation, fun with punctuation. So anyway, I apologize, everybody, if you found some typos and delay, don't deny, I'm working on getting those fixed. So a silver lining, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Well, I do have my own exciting announcement also in the book world. Ooh, I can't wait to hear it. So the audiobook version of What When Wine, I can officially announce it now. I'm so excited. Is it is it finished? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's happening. Yes, it is officially happening. So, oh, it's so weird to be talking about it. Um, so the official release date is October 16th on Audible. 
or so they tell me. That's soon. I'm so excited. But I actually, so last week I actually went into the studio and recorded, because I'm not recording the whole book. I have a different narrator, but they're letting me record basically the introduction and then one of the beginning chapters, which is my diet history, because it's basically talking all about my diet history. So I'm going to read the first parts of the book and then the rest of the book will be a professional narrator. I'm actually so excited about who it is. Her name is Emily Zeller. And she did The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which is one of my favorite audiobook narrations ever. So I'm so honored and excited to have her. But yeah, it was so weird to like be recording it in the studio. Now I wonder if she's doing intermittent fasting now after reading your book. She probably is. I don't know. I should ask her. (laughs) Yes. But anyways, so for listeners, I will put links in these show notes. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 73. I'll put links um, to Jen's book that we were talking about at the beginning, Delight, Don't Deny, and also to my book, What, When, Wine. And you will be able to pre-order it hopefully pretty soon. And if you can pre-order it, that would be absolutely amazing. It really just helps to get the book started on a really strong start and have it be featured and seen and get out there. So if you are able to pre-order it, that would be awesome. Oh, did I tell you that my book was number one on Audible and the... um I guess the diet and weight loss category, the number one new release. No, but I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, I was so excited. My See, I don't ever look at things. And my husband is the one who noticed. <laughs> he was like, did you know your book is number one on Audible in the new release category? I'm like, what? No. And it, it stayed number one for a while. So that was very exciting. And there were some very heavy hitters at number two, number three, number four. So I was so excited to be number one just, you know, for however long that lasted. And I mean, it could still be happening now. I don't know. I don't look. <laughs> But anyway, thank you, listeners. I was excited. I think that's actually my favorite part is not seeing my book out there, but seeing it next to people that I really, really admire. Yeah. Or like when someone also bought, you're like, you know, readers also bought and it shows what else they bought. I'm like, look at what they're buying. One of the things, though, was chicken socks. People who bought my book also bought chicken socks. Chicken socks. It was really funny. That's really random. I know. And like, then I posted it in the Facebook group and also on Instagram. And like four people said, yeah, I bought those socks. (laughs) And I'm like, you're going to start the most random trends. I love my community because in my community, people buy my book. They buy some other books, these certain things I recommend, but they also buy chicken socks. (laughs) Chicken socks and serapeptase. There you go. Right. I had a funny moment this week. So I was researching a certain supplement and I typed something in Google and the first thing that popped up was one of my old blog posts about that supplement. That's hilarious. So, <laughs> so happy I already knew the answer I was looking for. Apparently I didn't, I, I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh, and do you want to hear a fun little fact? I would love to hear it. I love to learn, learn fun little facts. Do you know how when they're doing experiments on medications and protocols and stuff for depression in mice, how they determine if the mice are depressed? Now, that's interesting. No. I would think a depressed mouse would just lay around and eat. Is that what he does? (laughs) Sleep all night instead of being awake all night? Well, it's actually a little bit sad. So they force the rodents to swim, and then the rats that stop swimming, 
they'd figure that the rats lost the will to live. Oh, now that doesn't sound good. I don't know why. Isn't that crazy though? Yes. Yes. I wouldn't think they would let the mouse die. I think they'd be like, we'll save you now. We get it. That's awful. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess though, the rats that gave up the will to live. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they saved them. Well, all I know, how do they know that means they're depressed? <laughs> Did they ask? I'm just wondering how they know that's really a sign that they're depressed. <laughs> maybe they're just like weaker. I don't, <laughs> they just got tired. I would like to have been in that meeting. <laughs> Or they decided that would be... Like, how do we decide? <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm just not sure because there could be a lot of reasons why a mouse stops swimming. Like, maybe he has a little mouse cramp. Did they check? No. All right. So on that note, shall we get started with everything for today? Yes, let's get started. So the first email comes from Tim, and the subject is just a word of encouragement. And Tim says, greetings from Quebec City. I began IF six weeks ago. I began listening to the podcasts up to number 20 now while walking. Lots of information to help understand how to best implement IF as a lifestyle. I'm writing mostly just to thank you for the podcast. My wife, daughter, son, and daughter-in-law all began intermittent fasting within the last several weeks. It has become a family thing. I'll get caught up one of these days and then listen once a week. So yeah, thank you so much for your email, Tim. And that's pretty awesome that... <laughs> That your whole family jumped on board. That's absolutely really amazing. And really, we hear that all the time in the Facebook support groups. Somebody will be doing it, and eventually, you know, at first, everybody in the family might be like, well, this is wacky. Why are you doing that? But eventually, over time, more and more family members adopt the practice, and then everybody's doing it. So, with the exception of my family, <laughs> I've been doing intermittent fasting for about a decade, and my whole family still thinks I'm crazy. Well, that's funny. My In my family, my parents are not doing it, but siblings are. So, all right. Well, thank you, Tim. It was great to hear that. All right. Our next feedback is from Stacy, and her subject is regarding the tired episode. And Stacy says, thank you so much for the time and effort you put into this podcast. It is tremendously helpful and encouraging to me as I implement this IF lifestyle. I just finished listening to number 70, the tired episode, and wanted to share some things that have been helpful to me as I have struggled in the past with fatigue and brain fog. First of all, with brain fog, I found that I needed a bit more iron. Taking a prenatal vitamin during my eating window helped alleviate this for me. Fatigue was a bit more tricky for me, and I finally realized that I wasn't getting enough potassium. I felt tired and just heavy. I now drink alkaline water during my fast and take a potassium supplement. I also consciously try to eat foods that are potassium-rich, which can be difficult to do if eating lower-carb, though avocados are a good source, I believe. Anyway, I just thought I would share in case that helps someone who is struggling. Thanks again, ladies, for everything. So I just realized that I think I'm looking at Stacy's email. I think this Stacy, if it's the Stacy I'm thinking of, she's been around for a long time <laughs> with us. Like, I think she read... She was a supporter of one of my, when I originally published the What When Wine Diet. So hi, Stacy. Um, even if you're not the same Stacy, hi, Stacy. <laughs> Thank you for your email. And I think that's a really, really important thing to bring up as far as nut nutrients go and fatigue. Um, similar to you, Stacy. So I've been feeling really fatigued uh, this year, actually. And I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Mercury poisoning was one thing for me, but I also was anemic 
unbeknownst to me. So like you, I was low in iron and that was definitely a huge factor in my fatigue. So if you are fatigued, nutritional deficiencies can definitely be a thing. And so that's definitely something to take into consideration and to look into. Stacey also mentioned potassium, for example, and I do think potassium is a huge thing that a lot of people struggle to get enough of, especially because it needs to be balanced with sodium. And we often have too much sodium, not enough potassium. Thank you for sharing that with us, Stacey, because yeah, that could be part of the puzzle. We're all just so different and there's so many reasons why you could be tired and fatigued and you know, people who do not do intermittent fasting also suffer from fatigue. So <laughs> as I've said before, we can't assume everything is related to the fact that we're intermittent fasting. So if you ever have a symptom that worries you, don't assume, oh, this is just because I'm fasting. You know, get it checked out. Get some blood work done. Talk to your doctor about it. Don't assume it's normal and just something that's because you're fasting. Definitely. All righty. Shall we jump into the questions for today? Yes. Alrighty, so our first listener email comes from Sue, and the subject is late night baby feedings. And Sue says, first of all, love the podcast. It's a wealth of information and insights that I've really taken to heart. I especially like how you drive the point home that not everything is for everyone. Like you said, we oftentimes see something work for someone and we want to follow exactly what they did. And then when it doesn't work, we feel like we failed. We just need to realize that our bodies are different and might need some tweaking to work for us. Here's my question. I have an infant who is still getting up for nighttime feedings. I've been doing 16-8 and usually have no problems going the 16 hours of fasting when I go to bed and my spouse takes care of our son. But when it's my night to take care of him, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm famished. I try not to eat anything while I'm making his bottle, but it's too difficult and I usually cave. I don't eat a ton, but it's enough to break the fast. This happened twice in the last week. My question is, how do you suggest I handle this late at night? All right, so we got this question from Sue, and I thought it was a great question, and I immediately thought of Jen. So I'm just going to direct this to you, Jen. You probably know what I'm going to say. Actually, I don't. I'm really curious to see what you're going to say. Okay, well, Sue... um, I have some bad news, and that is that doctors who promote intermittent fasting do not recommend that women who are nursing um, participate in a structured intermittent fasting regimen. Just because you're feeding another human and they are dependent on you for their nutritional needs. So, you know, a lot of people don't like hearing that. They're like, well, if it's so good for you, why can't I just keep doing it? 16-8, that's not a lot of fasting. It's only 16 hours of fasting. And, you know, I'm eating in an eight-hour window and I'm getting plenty of food. But the thing is, you know, if the doctors who like intermittent fasting are all pretty clear on this one piece of advice, I feel like we should not recommend otherwise. So this is something, you know, I would talk to your doctor about, if you want to, you know, do some fasting, definitely talk to your doctor. I wouldn't personally never recommend it. And also, if your baby is relying on you as the sole source of nutrition, that's that's pretty important. Now, if your baby is weaned, I mean, I know people nurse for a long time. You know, they nurse one-year-olds, two-year-olds. I don't, I don't know how long people are nursing these days. I haven't had a baby in 18 years, almost 19 years. So. I know that people nurse for a long time and their babies may be 
eating solid food and still just comfort nursing. I'm not really sure of the terminology, so sorry if I'm not using it correctly. But in that case, you're not providing the sole source of nutrition for your baby. You know, still talk to your doctor, talk to your pediatrician, get their okay, make sure they know what you're doing. But that's a little less of of a concern than if you are the only source of nutrition for your baby. So I am going to say, please do not do a formal intermittent fasting regimen while you're nursing. Um, Now, the fact that you're hungry, you're waking up and you're famished, that right there, I feel like, is your body talking to you. You're famished and you want to eat because your body probably needs the food. So I know how it it is. I was a mom twice. I mean, I am still a mom, but I was a new mother twice, and I had babies, and you know, you really want to get back to your pre-pregnancy weight. You want to lose the weight as quickly as you can. But I would think about that time that you're nursing your baby as the fourth trimester. And instead of feeling like, you know, you're, you've got to, now it's time for you. I would think about, it's still time to focus on that baby's nutrition. And I know that this answer is not going to be popular with some people. I know I've, you know, every time it comes up in the Facebook groups, I say the same thing. And yes, sometimes people are unhappy with that. But my philosophy is I am not a doctor. Melanie is not a doctor. I mean, we do have doctors in our Facebook support groups, but they are not your doctor probably. I mean, I guess it's possible your doctor is in our group, but we really can't give advice that's the opposite of what the physicians who like intermittent fasting are, are saying. So please just always talk to a doctor about it and listen to your body. I mean, that doesn't mean that you need to like you know, eat the minute your feet touch the floor and eat 12 meals a day or whatever. Listen to your body, eat when you're hungry. But I think the fact that you're famished in the night is a sign that your body needs nutrition, you know, because you're, you're still growing that, that baby human, even though the baby is, is, you know, no longer inside your womb. So that is Jen's advice. And I'm sorry if that upsets anybody, because I know that You want to think that we're always going to say, you know, do intermittent fasting, but sometimes we're not. Pregnancy and nursing, that would be the time to to not. All right, Melanie, what do you have to say? Okay, well, I have very (laughs) different thoughts. Um, I guess, well, I never had a child, so when I read her email, I didn't assume that she was nursing, nursing. Like, I saw the part about the bottle, so that didn't even really occur to me. Well, that's a good question. Okay, so maybe she's not nursing. Oh, she did say making a bottle. Okay, maybe I just misinterpreted that whole thing. Sue, if you are not nursing, (laughs) ignore all that and push through the nighttime hunger. It does say making a bottle. Okay. See, I missed that completely. I got hung up on the nursing idea. She doesn't say nursing a single time. Okay, so I have an idea. Let's assume that she's not nursing and answer it that way. Or alternatively, we could just answer the question for anybody who is waking up in the middle of the night for something as a pattern and then finding the need to, you know, feeling famished and finding the need to eat something. Thank you for pointing that out though, Melanie. You're right. She does talk about making a bottle and I just assumed the nursing because we've seen it a thousand million times on the Facebook groups, people who are nursing. So I'm sorry, Sue, if you are not nursing, ignore everything I said. But for anyone who is nursing, now you know how I feel about that. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of like two for one. There you go. This yes, we're we're answering questions people didn't ask and questions people did ask. So Sue, if you're just waking up in the middle of the night and you're starving. I mean, you do have an infant, 
And so, again, your body is probably trying to repair some things since you've, I don't know how long ago you gave birth, but you said infant. So you may need to eat a little bit more right now. And look, I've, I've been a mom, a newborn mom twice, like I said. If I was up in the middle of the night taking care of a newborn and I was starving, I'd probably eat. And then I would just go back to sleep after that. That's probably not the answer that <laughs> that you were hoping I gave. But you can try to push through. But being a new mom is stressful and hard. And I think we do have different needs as far as like when, when we're, we're getting over childbirth and our body's trying to heal a lot of stuff. So do what you can. But if you do eat in the middle of the night because you're up with your baby, don't beat yourself up over it. You know, fam is just a hard thing to push through. Fasting is not supposed to be, you know, super physically uncomfortable like that. So if you're famished in the middle of the night, you know, that's, that maybe eat. What do you think, Melanie? Okay, so I'm going to answer this assuming that Sue is not waking up to feed a baby. Okay. <laughs> um, basically, I'll answer it. For anybody who is waking up in the middle of the night and feeling really hungry and getting into a pattern of feeling the need to eat something. All right. And so something I want to start with is if the person is eating because it's a habit and not because they actually need the fuel. So that's something really important to focus on. And so habits, so something really interesting about habits is we get into habits because they allow us to survive. Like our brain likes to create patterns because it allows us to get things done without, with less energy expenditure required to do the task. So things like getting up and brushing our teeth, you can do that without even thinking about it or driving to work. So basically habits are important and they are meant to support our life <laughs> and everything that we do. Of course, bad habits become a problem, but the awesome thing is that while our brain really wants habits, like we get dopamine hits from fulfilling habits, our actual brain doesn't care what those habits are. So like as long when you start a new pattern, it doesn't really matter what it is. You can get the same dopamine hit and the same feeling of satisfaction and the same pleasure from really any habit. You just have to commit to it and keep doing it. So that's really awesome because what that means is that if you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night feeling the need to eat out of habit, you can start a new habit and as long as you stick to it long enough, your brain will start to prefer that new habit. So that habit could be as small as even waking up and wanting to eat and then not eating. <laughs> I don't know. You could you could do something instead, like completely different. You could say, okay, this is when I normally go and get something to eat, but instead I'm going to go and just not eat or I'm going to go and, I don't know, rub an essential oil on my wrist. I don't know. Like You could replace it with something else. And the more and more that you do that, your brain will start to want to do that instead, which is really amazing. And then all of that said, <laughs> there are a few different things I came up with that I think would be best to eat in this situation if you do decide to eat. And so the first one, <laughs> I don't know how Jen is going to feel about this. I almost don't want to say it, but, um, well, look, I said to eat. So <laughs> remember? Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. 
Well, so the first thing I came up with was I think you could have something like stevia sweetened lemonade. Oh, I wouldn't have that. No. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, think about it. If it works for you, I feel like if it is just a craving, you could meet that craving without any calorie intake and you would do minimal, you wouldn't really extend your eating window hardcore for a long time, if that makes sense. See, I would more focus on something fat that would not raise insulin. Well, I I do have that too. Okay. Yeah. So I have, (laughs) I came up with four things. So the first thing was like the stevia sweetened lemonade because you're not taking in any calories. You might be able to fulfill some sort of craving, but then, you know, no calories. So minimal extension of the eating window. The second thing was something really easily digested that's going to just provide a quick energy boost in a way, but it will be quickly digested so it won't super elongate your eating window or at least not super hamper your re-entrance into the fasted state. So something like some fruit. (laughs) I think that would be really great. Or something to what similar to what Jin just said would be something that's not going to raise insulin, that is just pure fat, basically, you know, some butter. Okay, that'd be crazy. I don't know. You could have like an avocado, something like that. And then the fourth thing I was going to say, you could just replace it with something like chew on a mint. Yeah, I could get I could get behind the fat, something fat, not to, if if you're I mean, if you're going to raise your insulin, you might as well just eat something. But, you know, if, if you're – the fat would be less likely to raise your insulin than, than some of those other things. And that would be – that would keep you more in that, that fat-burning state. Well, I think it also really depends on what type of diet the person is following and the type of eating window they're doing. Because if they are following like a low-carb diet and they're super fat-adapted and they're running on fat – typically all the time anyway, then definitely I think the fat option makes the most sense, like hands down. But if they're the type that is eating, you know, maybe lower fat and they're eating a higher carby window and they're getting more into the fat burning state during the fast during the day, that might be a situation where they would do better with some fruit, for example, because due to the nature of their dietary choices, their insulin might already be a little bit elevated anyway from dinner. And then I don't think in that situation they should actually scarf down some fat. I don't know if that would be best, you know? Like it might be better for them to have some fruit in that situation. So I think it's really individual. All right. Well, yeah, we approach that from completely different ways. But yeah. But be gentle with yourself, Sue, because there is really, well, okay, I was going to say there's nothing harder than having an infant, but then I remembered toddler years are coming up, and that's pretty hard. (laughs) Then there's teenage years. That's hard, too. But having an infant is really, really a stressful time. So, you know, give give yourself a break there with, you know, if you, if you do cave every now and then and, and eat, just, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. Because those middle of the night feedings are stressful. That That is just, you know, you're sleep deprived and now you're awake. And so that that's really a hard, hard time to be a mom or a dad. Of course, my husband slept through it all. So <laughs> it was not a hard time to be a dad <laughs> for him. But I know some men do probably wake up. Mine did not. He could sleep through an earthquake, I think. Like he sleeps through his alarm every morning and I have to poke him. 
Do you wake up before your alarm? See, I don't set an alarm anymore since I don't have to get up. But oh my gosh, yes, I still am waking up early. I am just, you know, my my own time to wake up. I wake up still like 5.30. That was when I woke up to go to school. I'm still waking up at 5.30 in the morning. Still. That's like right after I go to bed. <laughs> you stay up till 5.30? I have in the past. Yeah. No. At 5.30, I'm waking up. Yeah, I'm definitely not. <laughs> Alrighty. Shall we jump into our next set of questions? Yes. And we have, is it, we have three that have a similar theme. So I'm going to read all three. The first is from Sabine and the subject is gallbladder removal surgery and ketogenic dieting. And she says, hi, I have been doing IF-19-5 for about three months, well, on and off, and have lost 10 pounds. During this time, I had to have my gallbladder removed due to two large stones that gave me two colics with no other issues in between. I eat clean. My husband hunts, so all the meat is organic and fairly low fat. We don't eat out a lot, maybe once a month of that, and enjoy making things homemade. I would like to try keto with my IF as I have heard so many good things about it. But is it safe to do without a gallbladder? Thank you. Enjoy your podcast. Our next question is from Whitney. Subject, personal trainer, fasting without a gallbladder, help. Whitney says, I am a personal trainer in Little Rock, Arkansas, and have coached and practiced eating five small meals a day with high-protein and low-carb diet. Recently, a friend introduced me to your book and intermittent fasting. After reading your book and the Obesity Code, I had to give it a try despite going against everything I had believed in the past. The first two weeks, I stuck with the... Um, with the plan of clean fasting and immediately gained five pounds. Shocked, I took a few days off because I thought I cannot gain weight in my profession and only being five foot four, five pounds is a lot. So I took the weekend off and started back the following week only to realize I was packing on the pounds. I was strict on my time of 20 hours or more, but eating whatever I wanted in my window, so not me. So now I am eight pounds off, but going on and off intermittent fasting because of the weight gain. So today I was thinking why this could be. I had my gallbladder out last June and have suffered with constipation ever since. I was researching constipation when I came across the thought about how my doctor told me to continue my small meals throughout the days because I didn't have a gallbladder anymore. He said my body couldn't handle digesting big meals as easily as before. This is because there is no gallbladder to store the bile to help digest the bigger meal. So I am wondering, is one meal a day for me? If that is why I gained so much weight, because I don't have a gallbladder to help digest all the food in a short window of time. Do I need to have a longer window? Do you think this could be playing a part? Another thing is, I teach insane boot camp classes and work out extremely hard, not at the end of my window. So when my window opens up, I have been feasting, but going 20 plus hours without food. Please give me your advice. I want this to work for me. And I think I could help others if I believe in it. Thanks in advance for your help. And then we have Charlie, subject, fasting without a gallbladder. I'm new to intermittent fasting. I started this week. I feel pretty good, but when I break my fast and eat, I can't seem to stay out of the bathroom. I haven't been eating fatty bad stuff either, mostly chicken, steak, nuts, salads, fruits, and vegetables. I was curious if it may be because I don't have a gallbladder. Is intermittent fasting safe for those of us who don't have a gallbladder? All right, Melanie, I'm very interested in your thoughts. All right, so all the gallbladder questions. So first of all, what is the gallbladder? So basically the gallbladder, it's an organ 
and it releases bile, which is composed of water, fats, bile salts, protein, and cholesterol. And when you eat a fatty meal, your gallbladder releases bile, and the bile basically breaks down the fat and helps you better digest the fat, absorb the fat, and then bile is also antimicrobial, so it can knock out any nefarious invader or bacteria that is there along with your food. And so having a properly functioning gallbladder and release of bile is super important for digestion and it's super important for assimilating energy and just everything. And so for people who don't have a gallbladder, it's actually super important most likely to supplement with something like ox bile. And that is basically supplemental bile that you can take to do the work of the bile that would have been released from your gallbladder. Now, as far as diets go, for example, Sabine was talking about trying keto with IF without a gallbladder and the implications of that. So I will speak briefly to the different types of diet and the gallbladder. It's interesting because there are people who say that a lower fat diet is better in general for the gallbladder because you won't be requiring as much bile, so you won't be as likely to get gallstones and all of that. But then on the flip side, and something I personally think is more true, is people say that actually, no, you need a higher fat diet to stimulate the gallbladder to release the bile so then the bile doesn't sit in the gallbladder and build up and form these stones. Um, In any case, the stones are also often related to high cholesterol and problems with cholesterol and We know that intermittent fasting, for example, can be great for regulating cholesterol, so it could definitely help in that area. And of course, I just talked about the concept of diet with a gallbladder. If you don't have a gallbladder, um, there's also the worry that you won't be able to, you know, make enough bile for a fatty meal, or if you're doing intermittent fasting, that that huge meal will require more bile, which you don't don't have (laughs) from the gallbladder. So you have to work with your doctor on this. That's really, really what I have to point you to, but I will say that I do think it is safe to do intermittent fasting without a gallbladder, but you probably definitely want to supplement with ox bile. And I will put a link to the ox bile that I personally like in the show notes. So ifpodcast.com slash episode 73. And then also it'll be on ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, I wrote down that I would really prefer that this would be a conversation you would have with a doctor who's an expert on your gallbladder needs and also, you know, pie in the sky dream that also knew about intermittent fasting because, you know, this is something you would want to definitely talk about with a medical professional as far as, you know, what's safe for you and what is not. If you have a medical condition, you want to be careful. So I know we have people in our Facebook groups who do not have their gallbladder and they're doing intermittent fasting. So, but as far as like, is it safe? Is it the best? I just don't feel comfortable giving advice about that specifically. Kind of like you said. Yeah. I think that's something great to emphasize. And so what about Whitney's question with all the, um, the weight issues and the digestive issues and the window and just all of those things? I have a lot of thoughts here. You know, we've talked before about how people frequently do gain weight at first on intermittent fasting. That's that's pretty typical. We see it all the time in our Facebook support groups. So it sounds like that's what Whitney went through. She gained five pounds, then she took the days off. Now she's up eight pounds, and that um, that's scary, I'm sure. But 
I don't know why having your gallbladder out would make you more likely to gain weight from intermittent fasting. I mean, this if, if we take the gallbladder out completely and just talk about somebody who's new to intermittent fasting and who has been eating a certain way for a while and now is doing intermittent fasting and then has put on five pounds and then takes some time off, then goes back to it and now has gained three more pounds. I would tend to, ha- you know, reading between the lines here, I would feel like you probably, as a personal trainer who is very weight conscious, you've probably been eating very carefully prior to starting intermittent fasting. And I would wonder if you have changed what you're eating, the you know, the way you're eating with intermittent fasting, thinking, okay, now I'm doing intermittent fasting, I'm going to add back foods I previously was not eating. That is typically one reason why people do gain some weight when they start, because You've been restricting certain things, and now it's kind of like, oh, I can eat whatever I want. And so you add things back, and then that leads to sudden weight gain. And then over time, you do start to have what we refer to as appetite correction, coined by Dr. Burt Hearing. And then you're less likely to eat as much. And also, we find our tastes change over time. So like those fun foods that you reintroduced, you're like, yeah, I don't even really like that. Why am I eating that? So then you start gravitating towards healthy choices again. So I wonder, Whitney, if that may be what has happened and why you gained the weight if you had changed what you were eating. We also find that as people start eating larger meals, which it sounds like you're doing as well, you're eating a larger meal. So let's say you have an evening eating window. And you're used to eating, you said you've been eating five small meals a day. Okay, think about the way that food enters your body. You know, you're eating your small meals throughout the day, periodically at, at these these times of the day. Instead, now you're eating one big meal at the, you know, probably the end of your day. And so your body has all that food to process at one time. So you're going to retain more fluid along with that food. And by the time you wake up the next morning, you may not have eliminated all of that. So that's also one of the causes of of the weight gain when you start with intermittent fasting. So it could be the foods, it could be just your body is, is processing your food differently. Now, you know, you said you got advice from your doctor that you should not be eating really big meals. Well, that might be true. If, if that's if that's what works best for your body, then maybe you should not do one meal a day. Maybe you would be better with an eight-hour eating window and have smaller meals throughout your eight-hour window. That would be a compromise that, that might work best for you. But there's, there's a lot of questions that I, I wish I could ask Whitney to clarify, to dig in a little bit more. You know, like, how were you eating before you started IF? How did that change? Things like that. That, that would make a, a big difference and knowing the advice to give. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I like what you said. And I have a few thoughts. Basically, Whitney, you made a lot of changes. And I can see how if you went from eating smaller meals throughout the day to intermittent fasting and having all of it as one large big meal without a gallbladder, that that could create digestive distress and lead to food maybe stagnating in your system or not being digested well, maybe some water retention. And then if you're weighing at the same time still, it's probably going to show different results based on when you're eating because you did change when you're eating and where the food is in your system and all of those things. And then also, so basically you made a lot of changes and um, your body's going through a lot of changes. So it's probably hard to tell right now where your weight is trending 
on a long-term scale, I would suggest that you, I know this isn't super specific, but just keep trying things and just working to find the window and the eating approach that works for you because I think you will find it and you can definitely make this change to an to an intermittent fasting lifestyle. You're just going to have to find the protocol that's going to work. Yeah. And she also mentions constipation. And so again, that would cause you to have a weight increase. And we can, you know, I've read some, some number, I can't remember it off the top of my head about how much waste we can hold inside of our intestinal tract. And it was like some giant number of pounds that was like, I was like, what? That can't be right. But I've seen it written several times. So. So yes, Whitney, I definitely think you can find the intermittent fasting pattern that's going to work for you, especially since your mindset is there as far as you really like the idea of of intermittent fasting. Um, But I do think probably extending your window a little bit and eating smaller meals in a longer window, at least in the beginning, might be a good route to try. Right. And I also wanted to talk to Charlie for a minute. She started this week and she's um, having trouble with bathroom urgency after she breaks her fast. And Charlie again mentioned that she doesn't have a gallbladder, but we hear this from all sorts of people. So when you're first adjusting to intermittent fasting, people have, you know, both ends of the spectrum occur in the bathroom department. Some people have constipation because they're not eating as frequently. Some people find, though, that when they start intermittent fasting, as soon as they eat, it gets everything going and they immediately have to go to the bathroom urgently. So that may or may not, again, be related to your gallbladder. That might just be something that you're going through adjusting to intermittent fasting since you just started this week. It it does happen for a lot of people. Luckily, I never had that. So... Alrighty, shall we jump into the next question? Yes. So the next question comes from Maggie, and the subject is going out for breakfast and explanations to loved ones. And Maggie says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I am new to fasting, and I've been starting and stopping 16-8 for a few months now. I feel great when I'm doing it. It's going to sound so silly, but part of what is holding me back is that I love going out for breakfast with friends and families on weekends. Is there any way that I can somehow plan on doing this while intermittent fasting? During the week, I usually break my fast around 12 or 1 because that is what works for my schedule, and then I close my window around 8. I would really appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for all the helpful info. Alrighty, so going out for breakfast with the friends and family. What do you think, Jen? So, Maggie, I have a great suggestion for you, and that is... Why don't you just wait until a little bit later on these weekends and go out to a fabulous brunch with your family? I know in my town, we've got all sorts of fabulous brunch places, and they only serve these brunches on Saturday or Sunday or both days. And so just instead of going, you know, at 8 in the morning, why don't you just wait and go to a nice brunch with your family members and have something special at that time? That would just be one way you could handle it. Just a suggestion from me because I am a brunch lover myself. So I understand the draw of, of eating at that time. And then like, let's say that you could get them to go at 11. You know, you normally open your window at noon on, on weekdays. So you go to brunch at 11. That's one hour earlier, close your window one hour earlier. And now you've just had your same eight hour window. It just shifted a little bit. So Consider that as an option. Um, now, if they absolutely have to go first thing in the morning, you like to go at 8 in the morning, then you're going to have to make some choices, and you're going to have to decide, do you want to eat 
earlier in the day, those days? Do you want to shift your whole window to be, you know, closing earlier too? start at whatever time you go to breakfast and close it eight hours later if you want? I will say, based on my experience, if you are having an eight hour window anyway, you know, I personally, I did not lose weight on an eight hour window. That might be too long for you as well. It's, it's too long for a lot of people, especially women. So if you're also really increasing your window on the weekend, you're probably not going to have the weight loss that you might be looking for. So just keep that in mind. So you may have to make some choices and, and, and decide, you know, what is going to feel, feel like a lifestyle. I still want to enjoy it. I still want to be social with my family and my friends, but I also want to meet the goals that I have set for myself. And so you just have to, you have to make a choice sometimes. And it would be nice to say that you could just, you know, Hey, don't do it on the weekends. And you could certainly choose that. And you may maintain your weight doing that, but you're likely to not lose weight. So see if you can just get them to wait around a little bit and go out to a nice brunch. Then it's win-win for everybody. Even so, you may find with 16-8, that might be too long of an eating window um, for you to see the weight loss that you're looking for, assuming that that is what, what you're looking for. All right, what do you say, Melanie? So I think I have a slightly more lenient view. So it seems, Maggie, that you really love the idea of intermittent fasting, but the one thing that's holding you back is this feeling that you can't have this breakfast with your friends and family. And I'm wondering, it seems to me probably what's happening is you're finding it difficult to go off plan in a way and have breakfast and then jump back into intermittent fasting. I'm just assuming that's probably the case because if you could easily jump back in and it wasn't even a problem, then I don't know that you would feel like intermittent fasting might not work for you. Does that make sense, Jen? Like, like it seems like she's having problem jumping back on the, the bandwagon when she goes off of it because that's, what's, that's what is, quote, holding her back from doing intermittent fasting as a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think that does happen for some people. They, they you know, you get into a routine, your body's in the fasted state, it's easy to, to do it day in, day out. And then if you take some time off, you have to like adjust back to it again. And if you're doing that every weekend, you know, I have a chapter in my book called Saturday is not a special occasion. It happens every week. So you need to have a plan for that. And, and, you know, you could certainly take every weekend off if, if you can do that, but you just might not meet your, your goals that way. Okay. So if Maggie could commit to doing intermittent fasting consistently throughout the week, and just taking off this weekend day when she has breakfast with her family, you don't think she would lose weight? Do I think she would lose weight? Probably not. I mean, she might. Yes, because I just see a lot of women can't lose weight on 16-8 doing it seven days a week. So if they if they have trouble losing weight on 16-8 doing it seven days a week, then I, I feel like taking two days off, they're definitely would have trouble with that. So that that's my my caveat there is that I mean and I don't know what what Maggie's goals are. Maybe Maggie just wants to feel great and have the health benefits of intermittent fasting in which case I would say okay, do 16/8 during the week and then do what you would like on the weekends. That would probably be an enjoyable lifestyle and it would it would definitely be better than not doing it at all. So yeah, that would be better than not doing any, any intermittent fasting and just saying, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. 
but you just have to think, why are you doing it? Is it also for weight loss? If it's also for weight loss, I would be very surprised if 16-8, five days a week, followed by weekends off, led to any weight loss. That's just what I've seen. Yeah, so Maggie, she doesn't say if it's if this is about weight loss. She just says that she feels really great while doing intermittent fasting. But in any case, Maggie, I think you should totally get the breakfast if you want to get the breakfast. So I don't think that should be what you focus on is like not getting the breakfast. I think instead you need to find the sustainable pattern that you can stick to that will still allow you to have this time with your friends and family. So maybe what that means is during the week, maybe it means making your intermittent fasting pattern have a smaller window in general. So maybe you're doing, you know, one meal a day throughout the week, and then you have this time with your family on the weekend. Or maybe it means that during the weekend with your family, when you have the breakfast that you shorten that window, you just make it an earlier window. But in any case, yeah, I think it's really important that you find something that is sustainable rather than feeling like you can't do intermittent fasting because you can't have breakfast with friends and family. Like, I don't think that's the answer. But we also don't want you to have the breakfast and then have it open this floodgate and then you can't jump back on the intermittent fasting train. That's why I think that it needs to be something that is set in stone in a way and is a plan and is something that you can really stick to. And it's all, I mean, it's also really interesting because she doesn't talk about this in the question, but the subject implies that she's looking for reasons like what she can just tell friends and family to skip it completely. Um, so, I mean, that is another option is just finagling and, um, still having that time without it being a breakfast. Yeah. I really think that she could just work in a brunch. (laughs) That's that's really that's really what I would do. I would say I would love to go, but I would like to go later. Like I mean, you could even say I would like to sleep in a little bit more and have brunch at eleven or twelve, and then there you are. You're right at your regular, your regular opening time, because you can you can get a delicious brunch. I love brunch. I want to open a brunch for dinner restaurant. Okay, we have time for one more question, and this is from Linda, and the subject is ketosis. And Linda says, I am currently trying 16-8 fasting every day. I purchased some ketone strips to check when, when and if I am in the ketosis stage during my fast, but according to the color chart, it appears that it is always negative. Does weight loss occur even if you never reach the ketosis stage? Also, I occasionally prepare a green smoothie consisting of celery, cucumber, and spinach with water and drink it toward the end of my fast at 11.30 a.m. Does this drink negate my fasting period? I enjoy your show. Thank you, Linda. So the keto questions. So this is really good timing because I just posted an epically long blog post about keto. So I will put a link to that in the show notes, ifpodcast.com slash episode 73. And it really goes into all the details about the ketogenic diet and how it affects weight loss and weight gain and just everything. So definitely check that out. But basically, long story short, no, you don't have to go into keto- you don't have to go into ketosis to lose weight. I mean, if that were the case, then people who are doing calorie restriction, but eating carbs throughout the day wouldn't lose weight. And they do. 
you know, like, like there are people who lose weight all the time without going into ketosis. I mean, yes, it's a mo- oftentimes a much more difficult way to do it and you're miserably hungry and it takes a lot of willpower, but no, you do not have to go into ketosis to lose weight. So in any case, I definitely encourage you to not even stress about ketosis and just follow the intermittent fasting lifestyle with the food choices that work for you and don't worry about if you're registering ketones because it can it's really complicated because ketones themselves even registering can be complicated because on the one hand you might register high ketones but that might mean that you're just making a lot of ketones but not using them so it doesn't even really mean anything or you might be taking in for example like mct oil and registering high ketones because of that but that would be ketones from food not from your dietary fat and then on the flip side You might be registering low ketones, but that's because, yes, you're making ketones, but your body is using them almost as fast as you're making them, especially when you're measuring on the urine strips. So, yeah, it's really confusing, and I encourage you to just not stress about it. So, yeah, people get so hung up on the level and wanting it to be high, but I've read um, that actually it's a better – and we want it to be lower as a sign that our body is metabolically healthy. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case for most people. But then, of course, I don't even want to make a blanket statement about that because it is so individual. So I just encourage people to not stress about the ketone levels. Not worry about that and stress about it. Yeah, I agree with that. And really, I almost wish we could all, I mean, the entire world of intermittent fasting could rewind and and not worry about ketosis so much because it gives us one more thing to stress about. You know, here we are doing intermittent fasting and we're not counting calories, we're not counting macros, but now we're worried about our blood ketones. We're worried about whether our strips are changing color. So it's it's like we have to have something to be obsessed about instead. And I'm not saying that's true for you, Linda. Please don't take it that way. But just I've seen it in a lot of people and, and they get caught up in, and I think this happens in the keto community, of course, as well. People get caught up in trying to get a number or a reading or a color on the strip. And so you're obsessed about that and, and you feel like unless you get this thing you're looking for, you're not successful. So Really, I would not bother with those strips because they're they're not that they they don't work for some people depending on what you're excreting in your urine, just like Melanie said. And also, like we've discussed before, you can have really really high ketone levels, and none of it is coming from your body fat that has been turned into ketones. Like when I was doing keto that whole summer of 2014, when I did it for so long, and I didn't lose any weight at all, I lost zero pounds of body fat. I was dark purple on the strips, but that was not coming from my body fat. So it meant nothing. It was meaningless to me at the time. It didn't mean a thing. Now, Linda, I want to talk about what you mentioned at the end of your question when you said you are drinking a green smoothie at the end of your fast. I have bad news for you on that, Linda. You are not drinking it at the end of your fast. You're drinking it at the beginning of your window. So as soon as you start drinking that smoothie with celery, cucumber, and spinach, your window is open. So, I mean, you asked, does it negate your fast? Well, no, you fasted up until that moment when you had the smoothie. But the smoothie opens your window and you're no longer fasting. You know, fasting and eating are opposites. So just keep that in mind. If you're eating food, you are not fasting. So... Your window is probably longer than you think, and it's probably not eight hours. It's probably longer than that. So start your eating window from when you start your smoothie 
And that's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I know I did just plug it, but definitely check out my blog post on the keto thing because I've been working on it for months and months and months. And I did so much research and it really it jumps into the science of everything. So it's on melanieavalon.com. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash keto diet, or you can go to our show notes, ifpodcast.com slash episode 73, and I'll put a link to it there. Well, I can't wait to read it. I bet I'll learn some new things when I read it that I didn't know before. Yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts. I actually, (laughs) I did so much research and I kept coming up with topics that were obviously related to it. And I almost made them just individual blog posts because there's just so much to say. Like for example, MCTs, the research on that was really fascinating. And I almost just made that its own blog post, but I kept it in because the science and the studies of the mechanisms of how MCTs are used in the body speaks a lot to the concept of the keto diet in general, as far as fat being used as fuel versus burned and the thermogenic effect and appetite correction and appetite satiation and hormones and everything. So it's really fascinating. And then I did actually, I started doing a section comparing low carb to low fat diet specifically and the studies on that, but I'm just going to make that a separate blog post because there's so much to say. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to read that one too. That's interesting. Yeah. Alrighty. So a few things for listeners before we go. So if you'd like to help make this podcast possible, which would mean the world, you can go to patreon.com slash ifpodcast, and there you can basically make a pledge each month to donate to the podcast, and it can be like a quarter. <laughs> like, even that would just help so much. Like, you don't even you don't even know. Um, we put a lot of time into this podcast. It takes... It's a lot of research, a lot of time, but I mean, we love doing it, but that would just mean the world. A few other things. So for the show notes, like I said, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 73. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all the things that we talk about that we like. So books, supplements, everything. It's all, it's all there. It's a treasure trove. Then a few other things on our website, you can also subscribe for updates to the podcast, and then you will get an email every week about the podcast. And in iTunes, you can subscribe as well, and then you'll get the podcast downloaded automatically. You won't even have to do anything. And while you're in iTunes, if you'd like to leave a brief review, that would be super duper awesome as well. Speaking of reviews, if you're on Amazon, (laughs) um, that's where you can get our books. So mine is What When Wine, and Jen has Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear. And if you are able to write a brief review on Amazon, if those books are helpful for you, that would also mean the absolute world. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast, and um, we do a lot of giveaways and fun things on there. And then you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. So yes, lots of things. So yeah, anything else from you, Jen? Nope, I think that's it. It was a great episode. I enjoyed it. I did too. All right, well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.